This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to part two of our two-parter on Innistrad 3 Electric Jubilee. This is basically now that we got the knee-jerk reaction, how we felt about it when it was announced, this episode is going to be how we're dealing with it here in the here and now, the realities of this set release and allocation of funds thereof. So without further ado, let's get more into the minutia about that stuff than we did last episode. Yep. Uh, I, I, I like the way we worked it last time, just going like big vendor on down because I think it makes the most sense. He's in Palatable for people. And if I'm a big vendor, um, this is actually really bad for me because I allocate my funds based on a cycle and a schedule yeah. of sets to come into standard and supplementals that are announced. Now, Watsi has turned that on its ear. I have another standard set I have to care about and it's out of cycle. So the funds that I've allocated for this now either have to be split or I've got to find more funds and move them from somewhere else into this pile. So yep. if I have the ability to I'm going to spend equally across both in the blind. If I yeah. don't, for whatever reason, I would actually... So this is well before spoilers, right? Because you have to get your orders in months before any of this shit happens. Yes. And uh, I think after... <clears throat> sorry. But before I had to put my order into distro, I, I would find out that these are both standard legal. And I would probably put my money on Midnight Hunt over the secondary set because I don't think Watsi would make the secondary set better for standard than the primary. And so I'm not saying I would split it like 66-33. I think it'd probably be closer to like 55-45 or maybe 60-40, yeah. which is a little more out of balance. But I think I would I would slant heavier to the first one and now that I'm seeing what spoilers look like for this, I can then take my second wave money, or my sec yeah my second wave allocation money, and either decide to put more into this one or shuffle off a little bit into werewolves in case I get the feeling that like hey oh sorry into vampires in case I think hey this one's going to be juiced too and we need to put a little more over here um, yeah and then the EDH decks it's like we talked about in the first episode four decks totals two in each set thirty new cards each that's easy I would just take my standard allocation for an EDH set and just break it between the two. I, I just split 50-50. And yeah. when I find out that the commanders for the werewolf set have nothing to do with werewolves, it's zombies and humans, I'd probably just like wipe my brow off and thank myself that I only split 50-50 because I don't know how well these are going to fucking sell and if I'm just going to end up busting them for singles. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, yeah, the 55-45 the to me makes more sense as a large vendor than anything else. I think at the LGS level, it gets a little bit different oh, yeah. because, you know, it, at that point, you know, at the LGS level, you have to account for other releases mm -hmm. uh, around this time of year. And at that point, it's like, all right, well, holidays are going to be, you know, I need to stock board games. I need to stock D and D stuff. Yep. I need to stock a minimum of magic stuff, but the stuff I do want to stock is the stuff I can sell to anyone. So I'd go heavier on the commander sets than I would on the sealed for like Crimson Vow or, mm. you know, the werewolf set. 
Uh, either way, I think I'd focus more on that if I'm in the LGS, because okay. worst case scenario, I sell it to some grandma or aunt or uncle or mom or dad that walks in, and if it ends up still in my inventory afterwards, I just bust it mm -hmm. if I have to. Whereas if I'm sitting on the sealed product in these boxes, well, you know, once Crimson Vow comes out, I may not be able to do anything with these draft boosters mm -hmm. anymore from the werewolf set, so I should probably buy a little bit less of that yep. because I've yep. got a shorter timeline. And I think that, you know, touching on what happens into the holidays and having to allocate for these other releases, that bumps into Crimson Vow, which releases in November, because now all of a sudden, all right, well, I need to have, you know, Catan or Pandemic or whatever, uh, just to make sure I have extra copies of that for the holidays and I'm stocked. Well, I can probably afford to buy a little bit less sealed product of Crimson Vow until after the holidays, mm -hmm. just because I need to allocate for these other things. Yeah, I need my pops. I need my anime statues, my comic books, mm -hmm. whatever it is. So I think you know this this model that they're doing this seems to hurt the LGS more than anything because your magic selection tends to be, you know, you get a little bit less sealed during the holidays, anyways. Mm -hmm. And now you've got two releases stacked on top of each other where you're not necessarily like worried about, well, this comes out in December, so it doesn't really matter that I'm not going to be able to sell it mm -hmm. during the holidays. No, this comes out in November, so you could still sell it, and that's the extra consideration. So yeah. for me, I go EDH, Commander I, decks, all I, day long. I want to stick on the LGS for a minute because I think it's really important to point out that when you're working at a large vendor and you're looking at a vendor that vends in multiple verticals across multiple games and you think like, okay, that's similar to an LGS, it's actually kind of important to remember that each of these verticals is its own department at an LGS and they're essentially responsible for their own purchasing and reselling. Each one of these yeah. verticals is allocated funds essentially based on what they've done previously and historically. And it's not like the money in you know the, the vendor coffers is... It's like strictly bound to department, but they know what they're going to spend actually. When it comes to an LGS, it's a lot different and you can, you know, sure look at expenses and profits across different verticals, but when it comes to the holiday time, at the point that you made of knowing exactly what you're going to sell across your various verticals is really important because you're going to want to do exactly what you said, which is generalize. You're not going yeah. to go as hard on like Warhammer stuff and uh, magic, these niche things, as you would on some things that are a little more general and a little more palatable that can sit on the shelves a little longer because they'll still churn throughout the year because they're general, you know? Yeah. And I think that's kind of important to remember at the LGS level and how that truly is different than at the vendor level. It's something else you have to care about. And it, I think you're right. I think it absolutely does truck the LGS. And I would focus... I don't... I think the EDH stuff, if... AFR EDH stuff sold well. Fair, yeah. And I, I think, like, yeah. that's kind of how I would have to track it, is if the set-specific EDH stuff has sold well, because that's kind of like the new dimension or the new flavor to EDH rather than the yearly release um, is considered, or commander, whatever you want to call it. Because um, apparently some people don't know the format by EDH, I found out on Friday, um, that you have to put your money where it's going to work the best for you. And if the set base command uh commander decks just have been on a downtrend then maybe you don't spend as much there but at the same time i don't know where i would put my money for magic when i'm solicited for crimson vow if it's not the edh product exactly and that's kind of you know you may be sitting on it but it's a whole lot easier to bust edh product than it is to bust cases of sealed boosters it's also uh, easier to sell edh product at a lesser price point than it is boxes of crimson vow over the holidays too yeah uh, being able to say, look, this they're ready to play with this box. Yeah. 
as opposed to this box, which is three times as much in some cases, is maybe they'll get a deck out of it. Maybe they won't. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing, too, is that a lot of LGSs, you know, when you talk about needing to know what you're selling, a lot of LGSs are a lot more hand-to-mouth than some of the bigger yep, guys yep. like Art Kingdom or Star City Games. And there's some of them that literally make or break their Q4 and their Q1 based on their holiday sales. Mm-hmm. And being able to have that revenue come in and fund your Q1 and maybe even into your Q2 when you hit that post-Christmas lull is super important. So being able to say, what are the things I'm going to sell to my holiday shoppers? Yep. You know, what's the bare minimum I can get by with for my entrenched players that are still going to come around and may still spend money. But really, you know, this time of year is an LGS. It's all right. You know, I've got foot traffic kind of, you know, it may not be actual foot traffic, but I've got traffic I'm not going to see otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got grandmas, family members, friends, whatever, that just know some kid plays magic. You know, do I really want that or do I want these board games that everyone's talking about? And that's why it's really important for the LGS at this point. And that this set release is kind of crucial in the sense that, you know, it can make or break an LGS in some ways. I mean, not like bankrupt them, but it can certainly go a long way towards making their holiday good or bad. Yeah, they might have to operate a little leaner coming out of the holidays if things don't move well enough. Yeah. And, yeah. And I'm, I'm curious to know, and this might be something I track with uh, the people that I know that work in various LGSs up here, is what their allocation for first wave look like compared to their allocation for second wave of each one of these sets. Because I think that's, along with larger vendors, I think we might also see the same thing at the LGS level, which is operate a little more lean into the holidays, you know, because you've got to start getting these orders in for everything around the same time. You can't just last minute this stuff unless for whatever reason you sell out, right? And yeah. we might see more of a push for allocation waves two or three if these sets actually like do well and they they perform well at the lgs and the vendor level so i do know for a fact that one of the lgs's here uh was given the same allocation for uh werewolves as they were for afr Mm -hmm. but they took less Okay. Because they did have the bigger orders that they had to place for the holidays that they were trying to get in. Yep. Um, because some stores have already started ordering their holiday stuff, yep. knowing Christmas comes earlier and earlier every year. So you may as well start stocking it in like October. Yeah. Uh, I think Crimson Vow is going to be the one that's really telling of how many people pick up their full allocation, how many people go short. And additionally, the interesting thing to me is going to be what happens with collector's boosters for these sets. Uh, which is not something we really touched on in the first half, was, you know, collector's boosters do have a little bit more of that, like, high-end gift mystique for, like, stocking stuffers. So would you almost go not heavier on them necessarily, but would you try to push them harder to your walk-in customers than you necessarily would your normal set boosters? Yeah. I think this might be a case where I'd probably allocate about the same for collector's boosters with AFR outstanding, as as I mentioned earlier, the exception to a lot of things and not the rule, yeah. because we know AFR did pretty poorly overall all around. Yeah. Notwithstanding the fact that it was uh, a short allocation, if I remember correctly. The set just didn't do for Magic what players expected it to do, but it seemed to capture the hearts and minds of even surface level D players and might have made the conversion from D to magic that watsi was hoping for um, yeah so i think 
that's actually a really good point. You know, receiving one CBB compared to a handful of packs for a lot of people as a stocking stuffer might be a great idea. But I don't think I'd short stock CBBs comparatively to uh, other sets. Uh, no, I just think it becomes a, you know, a push harder thing because that is and I, I don't know why I didn't think about it. But, yeah, that's something you would try to push. Yeah. You know, in addition to the commander decks is here's these really cool things that they get a lot of bright, shiny things that are worth more money. Yep. And all of a sudden, you know, whoever walks in here is they're worth more money and is like, oh, OK, <laughs> I'll get this for them. Yeah, you can holiday bundle and stuff like that, too. It makes it really palatable to put together a commander deck in some amount of packs for the new player or what have you. You build your own um, product, essentially, your own SKU yeah. at, at the LGS level. And even at the large vendor level, you can build your own SKU. And it generally speaking, works out well. As a large vendor, though, to go back to episode one, I think the reason I didn't think about it at all was because, to me, it's no skin off my back. I'm just going yeah. to order CBBs, and they'll sell one way or the other. I just put them in the warehouse and on the website, set it, forget it, right? Yeah, like, pretty much. I, I know Innistrad's going to sell well. It's split vampires and it's split werewolves. So e even from an emotional standpoint, as a large vendor, it's like I don't, it just doesn't hit at all. It just doesn't yeah. resonate positively or negatively, which might be a bad thing, all things said and told. Or because it's such a solid sale and such a guaranteed sale, I just check the box. Yes. Fine. Yeah. yeah. How many do you want? Yes. Like, whatever. A as a large vendor. Um at the, L at the LGS level, I think that's definitely something I have to care about. And I, I'm going to spend a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to figure out how to do this properly. And then when it's all said and done and I've got everything in for allocation one and I'm looking towards the rest of my holiday sales, I'm going to begin to fret that this happens again, maybe yeah. next year. And I'm going to have to be really litigious about all of my documentation and all of my sales for this year so that next year when this happens, I know what to do. Exactly. You know. So what do you think uh, reality for backpacker for you? Where do you go there? As a backpacker, when I heard this, that they were doing two split sets, um, I actually celebrated because I, I, I felt like this was finally them recognizing that they needed to do an EDH-only product like this. And I don't <laughs> mean the decks. I mean you pull all the EDH bullshit out of your standard sets and hopefully soon your supplementals and you just put it in its own side you put it in its own sidecar and you just yeah. slap it on to the, to the main set and then it changed and I kind of felt the same way because I'm not busting boxes as a backpacker I just have to pay more attention to spoilers and start looking at like okay what's coming down the pipeline there's a lot of graveyard synergies that were just released over the, the weekend what am I looking at uh, do, the, do these keywords matter? Does Dread Return become a better card thanks to some of what we're seeing? And now I've got to start like hunting and pecking through Gatherer or Scryfall to see, okay, what gets better, what gets worse? And I think as far as the sets and EDH decks are concerned, I'm actually not looking into the standard sets for anything in particular outside of Ren and Seven, I'm looking backwards in time because we're doing yeah. so much with the graveyard and we're doing so much with themes that already exist that I think buying into older synergistic cards, not reserveless, just things that are already out of print yeah. and you know, a couple of years out of, you know, purview, that's where I'm going to make my money as a backpacker. I don't need to buy the standard cards. They're going to come out. People are going to buy them anyway. I want to get in on the things that make them better. Or, um, as I mentioned, you know, we're doing a lot of things in the graveyard. Anything that benefits from the kind of recursion and sacrifice themes that we're seeing in yeah. Midnight Hunt, for instance. 
that's where I'm looking. And so I'm kind of happy that I get to relax and just like read through the spoilers and see like, okay, we're really focusing on the graveyard here. What am I doing? And it gives me both focus and purpose, I want to say. Yeah. And I, I think that's kind of where I'm at too, is that now it's finally like, I don't have to pay as much attention to the standard or constructed stuff because yeah. we are hearkening back to like these abusable synergies. And, you know, my last pick, you know, here's a card that's one card away from being busted in half. Yep. This is when I would go back and look at, you know, like your hollow ones and stuff where it's like, all right, so with all these graveyard synergies, what suddenly gets better? Yeah. You know, what what was a card away now that might have the card? Is there something I want to go deeper on? I'll still do the same thing I always do where I get two boxes of the EDH decks and just sit on them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if they go up, they go up. If they don't, I just sell them for wholesale and call it a wash. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, other than that, it's it's nice to take a break and not have to like, okay, well, I need to be, you know, Friday of release. I need to be there on TCG player waiting for the bottom to hit and to just buy 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 so that i have the stuff i need for standard because yep. you know standard's only around for a couple months yep and you know who knows if standard 22 is like whatever new standard what it's going to look like do i need to buy some of the older stuff eh. so i i am i'm in the same window as you looking in the last like two three years what's some stuff that was printed that was synergistic or was a card away that in modern or pioneer mm -hmm. might make a showing now that we're back at you know, in Estrada and we have these graveyard synergies that we didn't necessarily have before. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the galaxy brain moment that I had this morning, somebody uh, linked uh, Liesa or Lisa, Forgotten Archangel, and I'll bring this up real quick. Yeah, you know, that card's two, great. Yep, two, two white and a black for a four or five flying lifelink. Whenever another non-token creature you control dies, return that card to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. If a creature an opponent controls would die, exile, exile it instead. Like, that plays really well with a lot of the graveyard synergies that we're seeing uh, from Golgari as a whole, and people linked this in Discord, and they were talking about um, like what could be done with it. Is there anything that you would look at? And my first thought was, oh, I would look at um, like reanimation spell or reanimation spells mm -hmm. and reanimation targets. And then I was like, wait a minute, no, I would just look at as I mentioned uh, earlier, straight dread return. It's a yeah. reanimation spell that kills your own creatures, so you get two bites yep. at the apple. It's like that kind of thing because I get yep. to relax. I just get to like galaxy brain a lot of what's going on and so you're like okay that's pretty cool you know yeah croaking counterpart another outstanding card that we got to look at and just you know enjoy um yeah like cackling counterpart does some stuff in edh so this fits right in you know you have a lot of other uh simic clones of this that it fits with so it's just kind of like eh, whatever it, it'll fit in somewhere but i get to be a lot more discerning and a, a lot more relaxed which i i like um it mean overall not having to care about the standard meta and not having to support players for that or even really um, support players for modern because the opportunity to play modern FNMs at a lot of stores is going to be um, pretty low with these set releases, like back-to-back. -back. It gives yeah. me time to actually like start combing back through uh, modern results and really like calling an inventory for that once we come out of the holidays and similarly with standard and edh you know everything kind of goes into a lull and i get to like scrooge mcduck for a hot minute and then yeah. start spending my cash it's pretty great um this this is definitely we're about to be in the time where as a backpacker it's almost like it's feast mode yeah because you do you know everything's lower because people are selling to get money for the holidays and you do have that opportunity to kind of swoop in and pick stuff up uh which you know maybe the wallet fatigue is good in that regard because 
people like you and I benefit from it because, oh, I don't want to buy these cards. Let me sell some stuff. All right, cool. Fine. You know, here's a hundred bucks. Go get a nice present for someone. Yeah. Uh, that kind of thing. That's going to be nice too, being able to scoop stuff up during the holidays through both sets, provided Crimson Vow is as decent as we hope it will be. Uh, yeah. If I was a backpacker and I was solely supporting Standard, I'd probably be pretty miffed at this overall. Yeah, I'd be so mad. Um, because my ability to buy in, like you mentioned, at the low, if you want to do it on TCG Player, you've got to be right there. Or even if you're the kind of person who wants to wait until like the second true lull, you know, the actual dip, then you've got to wait until basically Crimson Vow releases. And now everybody might be scrambling for that because of what we're seeing from Crimson Vow. So it's not like people are going to be flooding the market as often as they would. It's yeah. in that regard, it's really dicey and I, I dislike it <clears throat> as a backpacker, but that's never been my MO as a backpacker. So I think I'm, I'm actually pretty okay with this. And if become, if this becomes a cyclical thing, if this is something Watsi wants to do once a year, I think I'm okay with it because it gives me that time to really like, relax and take better inventory of what i'm doing and where i want to focus it just gives me like respite especially when i don't have any large events to worry about yeah which is good for now yeah if i yeah i think if i was the kind of local backpacker that was also buying to resell so i'm just like buying locally and then flipping tcg player as my my outlet I think I'd actually be pretty okay with this as well because you're going to have a lot of those people that are going to buy in and then want to buy and then want to re-up. Yep. Which means they're going to need to sell somewhere and as long as my numbers are decent, you know, flipping they're into, selling them. Yep, exactly. And flipping into TCG player isn't that bad and it's a lot more work because it's a protracted amount of time between sets, but if I'm a backpacker, this is essentially a secondary job and I should be ready for that and not like yeah. be upset that I'm making more money than I normally would. So it's like I don't know. If I was a lazy backpacker, I'd probably be upset, but eh. It's hard to be a lazy backpacker. You, you it's hard to be a good backpacker and be lazy. That's that's the distinction I should make. I think you're on. I think that, that's the one we're spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Picks? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, the last thing to talk about in this one is just, I guess, a player. Like. Oh, yeah, as a player. I, whatever. I play modern now. Like, maybe I'll get some cards. I think as a standard player, it pushes me more towards arena because I would much rather just play there, even though the wild card system is still awful yep. uh, and not having a secondary market on there is not great. This kind of release structure definitely makes it seem like they're trying to incentivize arena as a standard player. I, I think so too. I think it's good. It would be extremely difficult for me as a player to want to re up this quickly and if I was the kind of person that likes cracking packs, I think I would feel terrible about this heading into the holiday season. Yeah. Like, I think I'm I would honestly... Missing have, out. Yeah, I would have to skip one of these sets, I believe. Yeah. I, I I don't think a lot of players are naturally as enfranchised as Watsy thinks and can buy a box of each of these heading into a holiday season. Yeah. And I think that would annoy me as somebody who would want to either oh, keep a box, buy a box and keep it, or buy a box and crack it, or buy two boxes, one to keep and one to crack yeah like, i i don't think there's any way i would enjoy this as a standard player no not at all oh. but outside of that i'm ready for picks all right i'm going first yep uh speaking of you know we touched on earlier cards with synergies from the last couple of years that may be a card or so away from being busted similar to my last pick hollow one i am going for pack foil shadow of the grave 
what does this card do? Well, it's from Amonkhet, so that's probably why you don't remember what it does. Uh, let me get into the history of cards like this. So for those of you that play Legacy, you know that Iggy Pop was a deck for a long time, which involved discarding your hand to LED, getting some of it back, etc., etc., looping like that. Hold so on, I didn't realize man. you were going to bring up Iggy Pop. I got to I got to bring up Ill-gotten Gains so people can read this card. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's it's a doozy. So Ill-gotten Gains for those of you that didn't play during Ema or during Urza Block, uh, exile it. Each player discards their hand, then returns up to three cards from their graveyard to their hand. So what you would do is you would cast Ill-gotten Gains and then you would LED. Yep. Great. Discard it. Everything's gone. Put it all back. We have mana and a storm count. We're in business. So cards like Shadow of the Grave. Two mana, instant, which is actually kind of important. Return to your hand all cards in your graveyard that you cycled or discarded this turn. So obviously this isn't going to be great with something like LED or Iggy Pop. Uh, because whatever. You're trying to... You just discarded it all and you're getting it back to net one mana in a storm. It seems like you're losing that game. At any rate, the reason that this card sticks out to me is because, one, the pack foils are less than $3 right now on TCG Player, which is huge. And two, cycling. So cycling is something that we touch on periodically in commander sets, core sets, supplementals, whatever, that we get through Magic. And it seems like every time there's something like a stabilizer that interacts in a neat way with cycling, reducing the cost, making it easier, giving all your cards cycling, what have you. So we have Brothers War coming out next year. And the interesting thing is that cycling started in Urza block. So my expectation is that worst case scenario, this card is just worth $3 forever in the pack foil, and you're not really out all that much. No. But if we get something that abuses cycling in the Brothers War set, which I believe, let me check the date on I, that. I think it's Q3? Q4 2022. Q4 2020. So we're about a year out. So we're a little early, admittedly. But we also have Double Masters in there, which is another opportunity for them to hit cycling. Yep. We also have Dominaria, which was another set that had cycling in it. So we're looking at probably sometime Q3, Q4 next year. If nothing else, this card gets more looks mm -hmm. and more looks is all we need for it to go from a three dollar to a six dollar to a ten dollar foil so i'd be comfortable personally sitting on probably about 20 copies of this at three bucks 60 bucks sure that's a good meal i can put that in a card that i put in a box and forget about it and not feel bad about it as far as timeline you're looking at like q3 q4 next year that we would reasonably see a return on this now, the other interesting thing going for this card is that, like I said, it's from Amonkhet, and it's not worth a lot of money from Amonkhet. Nope. Which, granted, most of the set is not worth a lot of money. But this card, unlike some of the cards like Hazaret, never saw play in Standard. This card was just like, that cycling deck was around for a weekend, and that was it. So I think that this, you know, is probably a forgotten about card. When we get some looks, you may see a sudden explosion in inventory. But you'll also see an explosion in liquidity, which is important. As far as how I'm outing it, it's going to be Card Kingdom Buy List. Yep, yep. Uh, it's the fastest way to do it. You may have to be real quick on the uptake because it may get filled by one or two people sitting on a bunch of copies. But I think Q3, Q4, this card's set to be worth more than just a bulk foil rare at $3. Because it is just a card away from being busted in half. If we get something that makes cycling free, uh, if again. we get something... Yeah, again... 
if we get something like ill-gotten gains that's more efficient anything like that that happens all of a sudden this card is a banger yeah i where i think we're missing right now is a clear general for this card so uh to point out in onslaught block the cycling payoffs if you want to call them that the two enchantments were astral slide white and lightning red in Amonkhet, it's Drakehaven, Blue, and f- not Faith's Reward. Faith something or the Black Enchantment that's Drain and Green. Uh, drain yeah. and Gain. It's basically Lightning Rift, but for Black. Yeah. Right? Aside from Gabby Nest Warden, there's really no clear cycling general. And right now, this card fits into, and I'll bring this up on Wreck. Angie Falcon Wrath, discard a card, draw a card. Whenever you discard a card, if it has Madness, untap it, right? So in theory, you could just chain through your through your deck and then shadow the grave it all back combo out. Uh, Kaidel chosen of Crufix is basically just going to key off of the number of cards you draw. The number one partner with us, Ravos, doesn't do much. Verena, Lich Queen. Whenever you attack with one or more zombies, draw that many cards, then discard that many cards. Right. So again, you're just dumping your hand, redrawing, and then getting everything back with shadow of the grave. Chromium the mutable. Discard a card until end of turn becomes a human. Right. So it just allows you to cycle back. And then Zer, which is kind of the uh, Swiss Army knife of cycling decks, because Zer gets Lightning Rift, Zer gets Drakehaven, and Drake gets uh, Zer gets the Black Enchantment. Ask me how I know. And yeah. until we have a clear cycling general, I think Shadow of the Grave kind of sits behind the scenes and just plays well with the first four themes that we saw, which is just. Draw a card, draw a bunch of cards, discard a bunch of cards, and then gain value by bringing them all back. Right? I think that's that's where we are until we get a clear cycling cycling general. For sure. And once we get that, I think like that's that's where this goes. That's where it takes off. Or or for whatever reason, more people just want to play Nekasar at a table. Yeah. And you just wheel away everything that you've ever drawn in your life and get it all back with Shadow of the Grave. Like that's an option too. But uh, it is. That that takes a dedicated kind of person. Uh, personally, I thought Shadow of the Grave would have picked up in Modern. I thought we would have seen something there with Modern Horizons and um, the fact that we got Astral Drift and the cycling yeah. lands from Onslaught, but the format's just too fast for it right now, sadly. Um, I know. So we're kind of pooped on that. Otherwise, I like the card overall. It has easy application into EDH, and in a number of formats, it's got to be no more than one card away from actually being like irrelevant is kind of the wrong word but also the right word here yeah um uh my card on the other hand is gilded lotus and effectively what i would like to call an edh staple so uh you know this card's been around since beard and so it's effectively been around forever and i was specifically tracking the 2013 version uh this entire time and it's kind of interesting what happened over the past couple of days so uh, when I added this to my list, it was back in February of 2021. TK was buying 32 at $3. The TCG market uh, was 348 and there were 108 on the marketplace. Uh, when I picked this card uh, two weeks ago, CK was buying 67 at $3.95. And since then, filled. They're no longer buying any from M13. They are buying copies from Mirrodin, uh, Dominaria only right now. Oh, Mirrodin as well. But they're buying five from Mirrodin, and they are buying 55 from Dominaria. So basically, what I've been seeing this entire time is anytime the core set ones come up, or Mirrodin really in bulk, people just push. They just push into the CK yeah. buy list. Uh, TCG player, on the other hand, 
has 125 at $4.95 for LP or better, which basically means that people are still buying these, the, the floor is rising on them. And the reason I like this card is because it's highly playable across a few strategies in EDH, namely anything to do with artifacts or a high uh, mana value, non-green based commander. And it's extremely good in those monocolor decks because these generals generally have high pip requirements. And if we take a look uh, on rec, you know, we'll see Teferi, we'll see Muzia, we'll see Kozilek. A lot of mono blue here, obviously, because it doesn't have a lot of ramp. And then you drop down into like Avacyn and Kumano, who are also very mana hungry generals. So as far as the format is concerned, this is either a combo piece or an accelerant. And this allows players to ramp quickly from the early game straight into effectively the late game. If you're going to play a monocolored deck with a high mono value general, this is a must. And I put that word in quotes, uh, look a card you have to look at, you must look at. And if you're looking to artifact combo out, the ability to recycle or twiddle this allows you to push your mana requirement and open up a number of possible kill avenues because you're going to be generating mana with any sacrifice outlet, be it like something from Junk Diver all the way to effectively just an untap effect. So in short, this is, a this is foundational to a number of strategies and should remain in the conversation when building any artifact based deck or monocolored high mana value deck. So uh, my timeline for this is a little bit interesting because I'm basically just going off the market and less the CK value because of what we've seen. So it's finally recovering after a huge tumble from the Dominaria reprint, which did really truck this. And the subsequent plateau, demand is finally driving the price again. And we might see another reprint in the recently announced Dominaria United. And if so, the stat that stagnates the pick, but without a reprint to my expectation, this is the price trend that will continue over the next 12 months. It's just going to go up. I think it's a fairly safe bet, and we'll be able to exit the bias fairly easily afterwards. Um, I believe what we saw at CK recently was just the secret layer flow in, uh, those foils, and then, like I said, the push. And so uh, when I picked this two weeks ago, there was actually immediate arbitrage opportunity, but I don't expect that to last for too long. That was a footnote I added when I picked this card two weeks ago, and here we are now, and somebody pushed 60-something yeah. to CK, right? Arbitrage yeah. happened. Yep. And, and here we are. So this is a card that I expect to just keep churning and churning upwards in price. I, I, I like the slope prior to the reprint, and I'll bring it up again just so we can see. And then you'll notice right at Dominaria, there's a hard tumble. You know, it's just a straight upward trajectory for years on this card from about Theros, which is really when EDH started to kind of take off from Rav into Theros, up, 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 up. Dominaria reprint incoming, bloop, tumble, stagnate, and finally picking back up. And as more people build with this, as they realize how good it is, how foundational it is to format, that's where I expect the market value to continue to rise as we have been seeing it recently. I think one of the interesting things about this card uh, is, you know, one, it obviously has that casual EDH appeal. There's a ton of people that just throw it in decks, even two color decks, it's fine in there. Yep. The other is how many different, you know, arts and versions there are yes. so when you were talking about it, i was looking at like you know the ftv version which i think is great and then i completely forgot there's a secret layer version of this card yep as did i it also exists in foil and the art is incredible uh but it's interesting that when you look at specifically the from the vault uh the price drop was about 66 percent and it's recovered twice since then and it's almost back to where it was prior to the dominaria printing uh, so it shows that some versions of this card do have a little bit more price memory than others. Yep. So I I think that, 
you know, that was just something interesting I noticed while you were going through your reasoning. I do think, though, that like you said, uh, if we don't get a reprint, especially if we don't get a reprint the size of Dominaria, yep. because that set was printed. If we don't get a reprint that size, this price is going to continue to recover because it is such a casual EDH rock star. Yes. Everybody loves it in casual EDH. Yep. You know, if you want a mana rock, Soul Ring and probably Gilded Lotus number two, if not Mana Vault or something, if you want to spring it's for gonna it. It's going to afford, yeah. Yeah, I I think that's, you know, this this card, worst case, just looks good to even out a trade in a trade binder at about five bucks. Uh, it's something I don't mind picking up at, you know, the two to three dollar range, and people are happy to sell it at that if they come to me at a booth. Yep. So I think long term, solid, solid pick for sure. Uh, I do want to key in on what you mentioned about the FTP20 version. So, this, like I said, this has been sitting in my list since February, and every couple of weeks I'd go and take a look at it, and I'd be really disappointed that I was tracking 2013 in particular because at the time it looked like the best option because it was the flattest and started to see recovery. But what I could have done earlier and might al is also a very good look is the Mirrodin version. That version has begun to uh, recover a little bit better than the FTP2013. CK is still buying it. Uh, albeit lesser copies overall it's still on the list and that's just the same art as the the 2013 and the dominaria one yeah yeah i think no dominaria uses the the gold lotus and the little oh heads. right yeah. yeah yeah different art completely but i wasn't tracking the overall quantity of the mirrodin version i didn't think i'd have to because that was the first one as a shortest print run because it was prior to all the new world era stuff and the return to wrap um print numbers i didn't think it was necessary because it would just price itself out faster. And yeah. I went with 2013, which seemed much more appro uh, approachable. The Dominaria one just being like low-hanging fruit, and I didn't think that one would recover nearly as well in time. Um, so it to, to speak to your point, it's not... F the FTV one, yes, absolutely has a better price floor. It definitely did recover. Uh, we saw the, the secondary spike when I brought it up on socks. It's recovering a little bit better than everything else. The Mirrodin one is also another really good look. I just don't have any solid numbers on that. Fair. But uh, that's it for my pick this week. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we head out? Nope, we're good to go. All right, so thank you for sitting through uh, the our reactions, I guess, the reactions to the Innistrad uh, double feature. Uh, we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, on Patreon, on Facebook, and that is our YouTube channel. If you want to listen to the audio podcast, it's on Stitcher, Spotify, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast. The video, as I mentioned, is on YouTube. And I am at Halt, I am Reptar on Twitter. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you next week.